You're listening to the private citizen defending your right to have something to hide. This is episode 57 for Wednesday, the 17th of February, 2021. All your data are belong to us. Hello, everybody. My name is Fab. I'm coming to you live from the not-so-cold-anymore city of Düsseldorf in Germany on the Rhine, um, where, yeah, it's it's gotten warm today. It's, it's it's now, it's like we had we had minus, I don't know, minus six or something a few days ago. Now it's like plus 11. It's it's going back and forth. I'm sorry, I have no idea what that is in uh, in Fahrenheit. Um, <laughs> let's, let's stay with the metric system here. Anyway, uh, how are you doing? Thanks for uh, listening to the show. I uh, hope, you, hope you're doing well. Um, today, we have two topics that we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about, at first, uh, something uh, I had to, I wanted to cover for a little bit. Uh, I, I talked about in an early episode, I talked about this fintech startup called uh, Plaid. And they um, were going to be bought by Visa. And that deal is off. So I want to talk about that. And then I want to talk a bit about medical data and who our medical data belongs to, because this is something that was a bit of a revelation to me, even though I have many friends who actually work with uh, medical data. And um, even, you know, even though I, I do a lot of, write a lot about privacy, I hadn't thought about it um, in, you know, in... Well, I, I I thought about it, but like I've, I watched this, I was at you know I well I wasn't at, but uh, talked about last, last episode that um, I was covering FOSDEM, and um, I I picked up something from a talk there, you know, of Matrix, and talked about that last episode. And this episode is basically the same thing. There was a talk at FOSDEM where um, this uh, guy was talking about he designs um, healthcare systems. And he was talking about medical data and who it belongs to. So that's that's something that put a new light on on this kind of area that I'm interested in anyway. And I wanted to share that. And he uh, raised some interesting questions. I, I want to kind of open the debate here a little bit. Um, people who have been listening to the show know that I value your feedback. So especially on this point, I would like you to um, come back to me if, if you feel so inclined and, and talk to me about what you think and if this was obvious to you or maybe it was just maybe I'd just been living under a rock or something I don't know I, I would like to uh, to solicit some feedback uh, if you want to give me feedback I'll mention this later on in the show but you can go to privatecitizen.press that's the website that's privatecitizen one word and then dot press uh, and that has contact details on it. It also has the show notes, which are handy because I try to give you all the material I use to prepare the show to enable you to, um, you know, think about it, look at it, think about it yourself, come out with your own conclusions, and then maybe, maybe give me feedback and become a producer and, you know, give us all some content we can talk about. But before we get into the uh, first topic, which is going to be played, we're going to talk about the medical data uh, a bit later. There's a little bit of housekeeping I have to talk about. Uh, and the uh, the housekeeping item is the fact that next week uh, there might not be an episode. I am um, upgrading my PC. Uh, I've been thinking about this for a bit. And I've ordered a new CPU. And currently I'm running, I have an Intel an Intel i5 in my machine, um, but I've ordered a Ryzen 5, uh, uh, f- was it uh, Ryzen 5 
five six five thousand six hundred X actually. That fifty six hundred. Probably Ryzen 5 5600X is probably how you say that. I have no idea. I'm not a hardware guy. Anyway, I ordered that. So obviously I need a new motherboard. So I got a new motherboard on order. I got that CPU on order. And I actually also need to upgrade my RAM because I'm currently using DDR3 RAM in this machine. And with that motherboard and that CPU, you know, kind of DDR4. So I'm, I'm, I need to do that. So I'm, I have that on order that'll arrive probably in, in a day or two. And then, um, I need to obviously take my PC apart. I do have a laptop and I could record an episode, but it's kind of putting, I mean, I still have work to do that week and it's kind of putting like a, would put extra stress on me. So, so my idea was, um, I'm just going to skip that episode. Usually, you know, I, I'm committed to delivering you an episode a week and if at all possible, uh, on Wednesdays, you know, barring special episode, uh, special circumstances like holidays or this, and I'm not, we're not going to skip that episode. I'm going to make that up to you uh, that the week after, in some week after, I'll, I'll just release two episodes. So that topic that I would would have talked about next week, uh, I'm just going to talk about a little bit later. I just wanted to let you know. I just need a few days. You know, obviously, I need to make sure I make lists of all my software and sort everything out and uh, make sure my backups are uh, all in order. And then I actually need to reinstall Windows as well because new motherboard, which is great because I need to reinstall Windows anyway because it's been doing weird things. I don't think the Linux partition is going to have any problem with the motherboard change. I think it'll just boot. Um, but Windows obviously will have to be uh, reinstalled. I have to reinstall the software. I mean, reinstalling Windows actually is quite quick these days, not like in the olden days. We had, we had to plan like a day for that. But, you know, it's going to take one day or two, so I'm going to just... Uh, take my time with that anyway so just so you know if there's no episode next week don't panic that that's what's happening and i'll 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 give you uh the episode a little bit later now let's first uh let's get into the show and let's first talk about plate and let's let's i'm gonna play the breaking news thing because i i don't get a chance to use this often and i like it although this is not breaking news this is like a month old I wanted to uh, talk about this for a while. I just had to push it off uh, for other topics. And, you know, anyway, I'm, I'm going to still play that sting now. <laughs> So what are we talking about? Uh, Plate is this company. I actually talked about them in episode 20. That episode was entitled... Um, oh, God. No, it's not. Oh, of course it's not loading. Um, because, oh God, <laughs> little look behind the curtain here. I actually, my website runs on Hugo and I have to obviously run the, uh, the, the Hugo server, uh, locally. Um, so actually that, that one website was still like the, the one, the show notes I was working on was still cached in my browser, but obviously I can't click on any links. So, uh, I'll just need to, uh, waffle here a little bit. I mean, I do this live to tape, so I'm not cutting that out. <laughs> Anyway, so that was episode 20, uh, entitled The Happy Plumbers Who Know Everything About You. It's actually my mo- one of my most, not, not the, I don't know, it's one of the most listened to episodes. It's very popular. People seem to like that. Um, play, play is this, just to uh, quickly sum it up, so it's like a little bit creepy company that is like an API uh, that basically, uh, because especially in the US, they don't have any like legislation for banks interoperating. Um, they have found this niche where they basically... Uh, <laughs> so if you want to use a fintech app that needs access to your uh, bank accounts, right? To um, uh, to uh, you know do 
get get on the data and do everything and you know you know get at all the stuff but because there's really no um api or anything like that it um does kind of um they, they need a way to do that so what plate does is basically it's really creepy you give them their your like your login date or you don't even know that you might be using a fintech app right and you give the fintech app the login details for your bank account and then they give that to plate and plate has like this software which in some cases is actually a screen grabber where they like scrub the website and they pretend to be you and log into the banking website it's like really hacky it's really scary um we are a bit more lucky in the eu because they had you know they um, the same law that required two-factor authentication for like banking interactions, which pissed off a lot of people because now they have to authenticate all the time, like using their phone or something. Um, it's kind of um, that that's that same legislation um, put in like a uh, legislation for like a standardized API that fintechs can use, which is a lot better. So you don't have to like play. It has literally your credentials. Like they could like transfer all your money from your bank account. I mean, it would probably, you know, you, you the, the bank, you would notice and you could probably figure that out. Uh, but still, like, I, I w- and they, get, they get all the information, right? It's, it's the weird thing is, so the, the little bit scary thing is that they sit in the middle and they collect all this information. So it's one thing if I want to use a fintech app and the app is basically, uh, right, you give us your bank account. And we'll analyze it for you and we'll, we'll optimize the way you're spending stuff and give you you know, credit or whatever. And uh, it's okay to decide. I wouldn't personally wouldn't want that, but it's okay for you to, I think, to to decide and give them that access. If you like, you thought about this, you think it's worth it. Um, but like, you're not even lo- knowing that there's like this layer in the middle is like really, really, you know, it's not really nefarious because it's probably in the terms of, it, it must be in the terms of service from whatever app you're using, but nobody reads that. So it is it is weird and it's a it's a weird company. Now the the what I talked about in that episode uh, in episode 20 was especially that they had uh, just um announced the deal that Visa was going to buy them. And Visa of course I think the biggest payment processor these days. Um that's obviously a huge story. Um it's just uh you know that that made just made the whole thing even worse kind of and it's it's anyway the deal's off uh so so that's i guess good news i mean the, it's not really good news because uh blade is still around and they're still they're still scary i think uh but at least the deal is off um now i'm going to quote here from a story on techcrunch which is now pretty much a month old um that uh, talks about this so this is from the middle of january i just didn't get around to talk about this earlier um the deal valued at 5.3 billion dollars at the time of its announcement first broke cover on january the 13th 2020 or nearly one year ago to the day however the department of justice filed suit to block the deal in november of 2020 arguing i actually that I missed that part, arguing that the combination would, quote, eliminate nascent competitive threat that would likely result in substantial savings and more innovative online debit services for merchant 
merchants and consumers. But basically, you know, Visa owning this technology would make them the de facto payment processor that everybody uses. At the time, Visa argued that the government's point of view was, quote, flawed. However, today the two companies confirmed the deals officially off. In a release, Visa wrote that it could have eventually executed the deal, but that, quote, protracted and complex litigation, end quote, would take lots of time to sort out. Plate was a bit more upbeat in its own notes, writing that in the last year it had seen, quote, an unprecedented uptick in demand for the services powered by Plate, end quote. Typical PR line, you know, <laughs> this was this again, uh, TechCrunch, just, yeah, just, they, they just print like <laughs> company PR bullshit. Uh, given the fintech boom that 2020 saw as consumers flocked to free stock trading apps, I mean, we were, we were talking about that recently, uh, and neobanks that played saw growth last year is not surprising. After all, Plate's product sits between consumers and fintech companies. So if those parties were executing more transactions, the API startup would like likely saw more demand for its own offerings. And basically, the they get paid, right? I, I don't know if they get paid on transaction, but they get paid by all these companies to provide this access to the banks. I don't know how the banks feel about this because I'd, I'd be like, I don't know, I'd be pissed off if they just do a you know, use a screen grabber to access the interface. I'm not quite sure. I think they actually couldn't do that. In I think in Germany that would be illegal. I'm not quite sure. I mean, I think technically that's hacking, and that would actually be a crime. Um, although there are, of course, exceptions to that. You know, famously, uh, Heiser, <laughs> the uh, I think was it the editor in chief of e EX at the time. I think. Um, basically went to the police and said uh, with this new law basically I'm, I'm hacking during my job and he basically filed filed for criminal charges against himself and then the government had to uh, clarify that you know that in that case it wasn't hacking but the law wasn't changed so I don't know I don't think they can do that in Europe but you know the interesting thing here is basically that um, they probably could have executed the deal uh, as they say but that they just thought it was too much hassle like the government would have probably I don't know. It's like, um, you know, they could have filed suit, of, of course, as they apparently, um, well, as they did, and they could have won that, but they, they could also have changed the laws or something. I don't know. That's, that's probably more anti... I'm not completely up to antitrust law in the US. I think a lot of change since I was, like, I was actively interested in this, you know, back in the Microsoft days. Um you know, when Microsoft was, was doing all these dirty things <laughs> to other companies. Um, but I think a lot of things have changed. But ba basically, I mean, this is a $5.3 billion deal. So it's a huge deal. So if they're calling it off by themselves, they must have felt the pressure, right? I think that's pretty much the, the case. Sorry, I'm just uh, juggling here a little bit. I need a, I need a little bit of tea. I was... Uh, I was running before the show because I, w I wasn't running for like two weeks um, because it was so cold and not not only cold but also like slippery outside, like icy. Oh. Ah. I just knocked something over. It's all good. It's all good. Nothing broken. <laughs> it's after the beer sock incident from last time, which we're going to talk about later in the feedback. Uh, don't be worried. Uh, no, no spillage has occurred. Um, Right, so I was running, and uh, I am completely destroyed myself, and, uh, and I nearly fell asleep before doing the show. So I'm, I'm like, doping myself up with a very strong Earl Grey 
to get myself through the show <laughs> um, without without falling asleep. Not that the topic is boring, I think. But anyway, that's basically the that that's it. That's all I want to talk about. Just a short thing. I just wanted to. I originally I think planned an episode on this, but then I thought, well, like, you know, I covered all plate and all this. I'm gonna keep an eye on them. Uh, definitely missed that thing in November, which is a little bit dumb uh, for me, but. Uh, I think this is uh, very interesting, um, uh, but you know, with this deal being off, um, at least the threat of Visa taking everything over is uh, is uh, minimized a little bit. Okay, so let's talk about our second topic, which is going to be a completely different topic. Uh, this is why this episode is called "All Your Data Are Belong to Us," which is, of course, a reference to a meme. To a geek meme. If you don't know that, it's uh, from a video game. Is I think it's a Sega Sega Mega Drive game. I think it's, isn't it? I think it's called Zero Wing, and it was like this intro cinematic, which was originally I guess in Japanese, and they just translated it really badly. And so the guy says, "All your base are belong to us." If you don't know it, I'm gonna intro the segment with it. So it's about a minute and a half long. So uh, don't worry. What is this crazy shit that Fab's playing? This is this is the meme. Uh, in case in case you've never heard it before. In AD 2101. War was beginning. What happened? Somebody set up us the bomb. We get signal. What? Main screen turn off. How are you, gentlemen? All your base are belong to us. You are on the way to destruction. What you say? You have no chance to survive. Let your time. Ha 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 ha. Ha 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 ha. Captain. Take off that way. You know what you're doing. Move. Four. Great. Justice. Could have been the slogan of this podcast for great justice. I just love. Yes, they put it like that in the video game. It is. It is horrific. <laughs> but of course, that gave us the phrase "all all your base are belong to us," which uh, you know, which is which is which is great. And um, I called this "all your data are belong to us" because what I want to talk about now is medical data, and uh, it's obviously interesting, especially interesting these days. Uh, we're talking a lot about medical problems uh, for the last year. Um, and uh, there's a lot of medical data that you know, in, you know, in in connection to the uh, pandemic is being um, accumulated, which this all applies to. So medical data is just getting more and more. Um, so what what are we going to talk about? So I was uh, reporting on a talk uh, a somebody a developer gave at FOSDEM, which is a big, big open source conference, which usually happens in. Um, Brussels every year, and this this year obviously was online, 
And this guy is called Johan Sonnen. And he's from the US and he works as a, he designs software for healthcare systems. You know, from what he, from the stuff he showed, it looked like a lot of it is, I think, cloud software, you know, uh, data uh, collection software, something like that. And so he argued in his talk, he basically, the gist of his talk was, we should all own our own medical data. And so I, I see this and like pretty every, pretty much everybody else there was thinking, what, what, do you, what do you mean? Don't we own it? And we don't. So it turns out that if you go to a hospital uh, for treatment or any other, you know, you, you, you go to whatever medical system in your country, you know, your healthcare system, and, um, you know, they will collect data from you. Let's say you have heart palpitations, right? You go in, uh, you see a cardiologist, they will do an e uh, EKG, uh, uh, EC, uh, sorry, ECG, that's K in German, uh, electrocardiogram, right? They look at your heart. Uh, you know, maybe you have some other problems. They'll do a CT or, or a PET scan or something like that. Um, or even like, you know, your, what you tell the doctor the problem is and what he prescribes to you, that, that all, that's all data. Turns out that doesn't belong to you. That belongs to the institution uh, you're with, uh, you, you went to, right? Let's say they, you go into a hospital and they make an X-ray that x-ray belongs to them. Now, in Germany, of course, uh, you have the right to get that x-ray, right? And uh, in Europe, um, you have rights uh, with respect to that data. Uh, we talked about the G uh, GDPR previously. Uh, I think I'll have to do an episode completely on the GDPR. People have been requesting this. I thought, you know, it was it was good to just talk about aspects of that law uh, when they come up. But, you know, I can do a, an episode on that maybe at some point. Uh, this is something you can, you know, you can chime in uh, if you if you want that or don't want that. Uh, private citizen or press, um, but you know, the, you have rights, and they're governed by the GDPR. But what they what these rights are, they specify like controls you have, like leverage you have about data that belongs to other people. So that that hospital has data from you under the GDPR. You have the right to know what data they hold how they how they uh, accumulated it, how they store it. Um, you can ask them to delete it after a certain time, all this kind of stuff. But that doesn't change that the data actually does not belong to you. In fact, and he quoted in his talk, uh, Sonnen quoted in his talk, he actually sounds like a villain from... <laughs> he sounds like that guy from Star Trek Generations. Um, he was a very nice guy, though. Um, they're very, uh, you know... Doesn't doesn't look like a villain at all. But um, anyway, so so he um, what you know what he was saying is that you know this data, in fact, does not belong to you. It, 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 the GDPR, for example, explicitly states that this is not your data, right? That you have rights about this this data that belongs to other people that um, kind of describes you. And if you think about it. Um, that is probably the case with lots of stuff where the GDPR applies, like personally identifiable data, right? So if you, in Germany, you need to be registered with the government office and they know where you live, that data, I would think in this respect, belongs to them. I just have rights because that data identifies me. And what Sonin was saying is, why don't we change this? Why don't we make it so that this data actually belongs to you, the patient? Which I think makes sense. Because it's intimate 
you know, medical data is pretty much the most intimate data you can have. It's very intimate. Why should that belong to somebody else? And what he um, kind of, you know, from his background as somebody who designs these systems kind of proposed was like a system where basically if some, if you go to a hospital and they want to, you know, they, they scan you, whatever, that data, that scan, whatever, that belongs to you. And if somebody wants access to that data, um, including that hospital, um, they basically need to sign a contract with you. They need to license that data from you. Of course, in practice, that would be very... Uh, it, w- it, w- it wouldn't be trivial, right? You, you can't sign a contract every time, like especially there are problems with... Um, with consent in hospitals, right? So um, I, my wife works with a lot of cardiologists, so you know I talk to them a lot. And um, they, they have this thing that obviously if you go to the hospital and you've had a heart attack and you've incapac- incapacitated, right? They need to, like a lot of times they just presume con- consent, right? They will, they will have to do tests, um, sometimes even invasive tests. Sometimes they have to operate and you might not even be conscious. And they can't reach like your next of kin, right? They will just assume that the the unconscious guy who just was just found by somebody on the sidewalk, transported with an ambulance into the hospital, um, is giving them the consent to save their lives, um, which I think is reasonable, right? You can't you can't have people die because they can't give consent. So this is a this is a complicated topic, and also with procedures, right? There are often people who might not, like, they have to give consent even if they're conscious and they're maybe even sane, right? They're, they're, they're uh, you know, they're completely uh, legally um, in, you know, in, in they have all their faculties. They might still not be able to give consent sometimes to a procedure because they don't understand it, for example, right? Maybe they are just confused, they're old, you know, with... It's kind of like, you know, with, with the pandemic, with COVID, um, most of these people are old and sometimes it's like really hard to get, like, you know, are we going to resuscitate them? Or are you going to put them on a ventilator? Sometimes it's even hard for people to understand what kind of procedures they're about to do with them. With with um, cardiovascular patients, the same thing. If somebody who's 85, <laughs> you try to explain to them what a catheter ablation is, they will not understand what you're doing. Um, and sometimes they don't have next of kin. So it's sometimes hard uh, to get these consent things. And that, that's the same thing with this, with data, right? Every time you're doing a study, um, obviously know lots of people uh, because of, you know, people I know and people my wife knows. There are lots of people who do medical studies um, or, you know, biologists and stuff like that. And they do, they deal with patient data. And, you know, when, when you put, when you make a study and you have patients and you, uh you know, you, uh, I don't know, have have ECGs taken, whatever, you know, that that's that's patient data. You need to be, you need to get consent to, to put that in the study and publish that and stuff like that. So that's already really hard. And so he he's proposing kind of like a next-gen system. So he proposed like this thing, I think it's like a cloud service, something he called the patient data manager, which is kind of like a bot. So basically it's a, it's a system, it's, it would be a central system, let's say in Germany, the, uh, the you know the, we have a centralized healthcare system. Um, there are already um, you know government organizations in place, and in the UK it would be the NHS. You know they have they would have a system where they keep that data, 
but under your control, right? They had, you'd have a centralized system. Obviously, you'd have to uh, take care that the privacy is, uh, you know, especially with a cloud system, that would be uh, non-trivial, um, that privacy is, is accounted for, that it is a secure system. But you'd have that system, and then you'd have people... Um, you'd have you'd have patient data in that, and that the patient then could define directives, right? You could say, okay, I'm okay with my data going to the hospital if I'm being um, if there's a procedure that they're doing, they need to get this data, or I'm okay with this data to be used for science, but I don't want this to be sold to companies for commercial things. That would be hard. That's also non-trivial because I know, like from you know, I, I have a penchant for software licenses, also content licenses. And I know that, for example, Creative Commons has had a, a basically, they have non-commercial licenses and they tell everybody don't use the non-commercial licenses because it is in some jurisdictions, and Germany is one of them, it is extremely hard to define a non-commercial, right? So does non-commercial mean... So if you're a commercial entity and you use something but you don't make any money from it, is that commercial? Right? Is is it automatically not commercial if I'm not a commercial entity? Right? So if I'm for example, I'm a freelance journalist, right? I don't have a company. Right? I have like a brand, fab fab.industries. Uh but it's not a company. It's it's just me, uh it's just a name for me working as a freelancer. So legally I'm just a person. Um right? If I'd use something under the non commercial would would that be commercial? Like, would I be commercial because I'm not a company? I'm just yeah. Do I have to make money from it? What happens if I don't make money for a long time and suddenly make money? So this is all not trivial. I understand that, but I think he I think his idea was interesting. I'm not saying, you know, putting this all in the cloud system is is like the perfect idea either. Uh, you know, the term blockchain was involved, which I'm not a fan of. Uh, you know, in my mind, somebody who's the term blockchain um, does not understand what a database is because otherwise they would just say database. <laughs> the blockchain is literally for this kind of application. I mean, yes, if you, you know, in, in, in Bitcoin, for example, it does something very special, right? It does like a non-centralized currency, which, which was a genuine like innovation and invention but like if companies talk about it we put this data on a blockchain it's like why don't you just use a cryptographically authenticated database like git basically uh, right um so i don't know i don't know about his technical um conclusion but i think that would be an interesting idea and i i think you could probably do it that the default would be it can be used for everything right and then because like try to explain this to somebody who's 70 right like what what medical data is used for when it is used for and in germany everybody just say no i don't want any nobody to have any data and then you're in you're in a life-threatening situation and then can't get to your data and you die that would not be good um but you know somebody like me who who is interested in this who could get into this could then specify certain things i, I think that's a good idea um now why is he proposing that right he had a very good example of like i i know why he's proposing i know what what happens with patient data but to most people uh, this is like a non-intuitive thing right they're like the system works why would you change it well he had a very interesting this is based on a new york times story from 2018 um, i put a lot of this text in in the show notes so that you can read it i'm not going to read much of it out i'm just going to basically explain quickly go over 
what happened here. So this is story in 2018. Um, there is a hospital, I think in Manhattan, it's called the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. It's a special, specialized clinic for treating cancer. And um, some people working at this hospital uh, created a company called Page AI, and they got uh, 25 million in venture capital. And this is when journalists got interested and this whole thing became a bit of a brouhaha. Because basically what they did is they created an AI, which is, this is a great idea. Uh, cancer diagnostics is not trivial. It's not easy. And the, you know, people who do, who, who do pathology for cancer are like, you know, basically you, you look at tissue samples, right? So they, you have you have a tumor right so they go in they cut that piece of that out and then they do a tissue sample they do like a very thin slice they have this uh what what they called vibro vibratomes or something it's very very thin knives that vibrate they cut a very thin slice and they look you know they make a slide of that they look under the microscope these days of course it's like all digital um and then a pathologist looks at that and decides if that tumor is like benign, if it's cancer, what kind of cancer. And that's like fuzzy. And lots of mistakes are made there, um, which is understandable because it's a really hard job. Anyway, people had the idea we can do this with AI. Now that AI is another term like blockchain, basically machine learning. Basically, machine learning is really good. You can train like an algorithm or a group, you know, a, a, a software. You have a software that you can train with data, right? And you can basically, uh, in the first stages, what you do, you feed it this kind of, uh, these images, and you tell it, well, try to pick cancer cells. And then you can actually have a doctor do the same thing, and then tell, the doctor basically has a data set, put, you put that back in, and the, the doctor tells the software where the software was wrong, and then the software learns, and it gets better and better and better. Turns out, at some point, it's better than any doctor. Um, I know about this. I have a, a, a an acquaintance uh, who is working on software. Uh, they are designing uh, software. He's actually working on the actual software uh, where they're basically looking at uh, it's the same thing for uh, ECGs, right? They they um, see they they like the, with an ECG you have like this wavy line, right? You're used to that, um, and the the cardiologist looks at that and then can see where you like. It's relatively easy to figure, well, it's not as easy as you'd think, but it's relatively easy. I mean, students in medical school learn this all the time um, to see when, when when people don't have a sinus rhythm, right? When your heart's beating some, when the normal rhythm isn't there. But there's another problem, like if you have uh, arterial fibrillation, there's like all these different kind of patterns, and, you know, you have to basically look at the ECG and figure out how what what's wrong with the heart. And that's like a really hard job. Now, it, it's already at a point where um, with some, I think with some AFib things, um, you know, certain symptoms, uh, you know, the software, or as they say, AI, you know, the, 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 the people want to sell you something, they always say AI is kind of like blockchain software, uh, where that's better than, um, than actual human doctors. Because um, it turns out, I mean, the, the brain is really good at pattern recognition, but like a wavy line is not really the kind of pattern it's good at. And what your brain and your eyes basically do is they fill in things, right? So you do, what you think you're seeing is often not what you're actually seeing. There's like all these kind of interesting things where like um, 
you know, when they ask people to uh, pick out certain colors in a, in a field of colors, and let's say you're supposed to, uh, you're supposed to pick out blue and they, um, when they, when they start decreasing the appearance of blue, people will actually take other colors for blue, right? It'll start with like purple and their brain will think that's blue and it'll go like at some point it's even red. Like at some, if blue gets really, really rare, your brain will like overcompensate and basically any color you at first think it's blue. It's like really weird. As uh, there's like all these kind of things your brain does, and your brain will fill in these lines as well, and you see different things. Whereas software definitely doesn't do that. Um, you know, I'm I'm obviously opposed to the term AI because it has nothing to do with intelligence. Um, but it's uh, definitely a le- it's it's a completely non-biased. I mean, okay, you can ha- introduce bias to machine learning systems as well. But generally, if it works correctly, like, you know, the, the computer will analyze what's actually there. It's not like your brain where, where it fills in things. Um, so, so they're really good at that. Anyway, so they did a system where basically as uh, a software that picks out if what kind of cancer you have, like what kind of growth is on the sample. Um, now, to do this, to, to train machine learning systems, to, to, anybody who does this kind of stuff will tell you what you need is data. The more data, the better. And they founded this company, and they, they basically got exclusive use of 25 million patient tissue slides um, along with analysis by, you know, as, as, as the Times says here, along with decades of work by its world-renowned pathologist. So from that cancer center, which is, a you know, they... They're the specialized clinic. They know what they're doing. Um, so they have slides and they know exactly, like these doctors have said, okay, this is this kind of cancer. This is this kind of benign growth. They have all this data. So they could feed that into an AI system and make an AI that, that you know, does that. That in itself is not bad, right? They're, they're, they're doing good work here. They're, they're enabling, they're building software that enables uh, hospitals even if you know, you know, they sell this to a hospital in Nicaragua, they don't have access to these specialized uh, doctors. Maybe they are very highly paid, but they, they suddenly they you'd get as as good cancer detection rates as you get if you go to this hospital in Manhattan, where like staying there at night probably costs like a thousand dollars or even more. Um, so that's a good thing, right? That in itself um, is very much a good thing the problem is the way they're doing this it's not a hospital doing this right it's it's a company it's a company that was founded and i don't when i'm talking about this you don't have to misunderstand me i don't begrudge these people doing this i know why they do this because i know lots of people who work in science who work in academia I don't know how it is in the US, but in Germany, they completely annihilated like what we call the Mittelbau. So the people who are neither uh, your doctorate students or postdocs or uh, professors, like anything in between that, they completely got rid of that. You, you basically don't get a job. Uh, there used to be lots of jobs in there who actually did the work. Uh, these jobs all don't exist anymore. This is all like postdoc students being exploited now, um, you know, to say, it, you know to say it polemically, but it, it is bad. Um, and you have lots of people at university that do passionate jobs, but they, they don't have, like they don't make enough lot money and they, they, they don't make a lot of money. They don't have really career chances. You know, they don't have a chance. There's only so many people who can actually uh, become professors. Um, 
so for like especially these days with startups for lots of these people um like a way out is to take the science they're doing and you know create a company and spin something out of that and that's what these people were doing now the problem here is they're taking patient data that you know these patients yes they came to this hospital uh, to you know, hopefully be cured of cancer. They probably consent to the hospital. Well, they surely consent to the hospital having the data, and they're probably all right. And they're probably consented to um, doctors who are scientists who and and other scientists who work at this hospital to use for this data to be used in science, right? So if if you have a very weird kind of tumor that they've never seen before, they'll publish a paper so that the rest of the world, you know, when, when they get a tissue slide like that, they can tell, well, that's that kind of tumor. And that patient was probably all right with that because that helps everybody, right? That is probably okay. Now, I don't know if they were all right with this data going to a company who then makes millions and millions of dollars with that because now we're leaving the terrain of just, you know, doing something for the public good and doing something for science. Now we, we, we were getting to companies, right? Making, making, making profits with that. Uh, another factor that a lot of these doctors that work at this hospital were really pissed off about is that um, they did the work. This is like 60 year, years of work by pathologists at this hospital. <laughs> I mean, they're paid, they're paid probably well, but they don't get a cut off like this startup thing right there's like five people two or three of them are on a hospital board who are who are in this company who make all this money now um but none of these doctors who did all the work like not the patients whose data is being used uh nor the doctors who did all of the work and you know that that pisses them off sign you know scientists in, in some cases who are not paid that well Generally, um, generally the people everybody's applauding. Oh, we got the vaccine, right? Hooray for science! We believe in science. The people who do the actual work are not paid well, right? In Germany, they have the shittiest job security. You can. In Germany, we have a we have a law, an ironclad law, that pretty much whatever job you have, I think they can only like they can only give you a. A time base, so they can hire you for, let's say, okay, we'll hire you for half a year, right? And pretty much any job, they can do that twice. And I, th I think it's the third time they, they, uh, they, you know, the third time you hired on a, uh, you know, uh, on a limited time contract base at a company for the same job, it becomes a permanent contract, like one that, that is unlimited. And that goes for pre for any job you can have, pretty much, except if you're a scientist. <laughs> so I know people who are at university who've who've been on like three months contracts for like I don't know five years now, um, which it's just like it's one of the uh, the great injustices from the from the red green coalition under Gerd Schröder, who I actually liked at the po as a politician, but that this thing. I think some green guys were involved. This is just a clusterfuck. Just completely like this. This fucks over scientists. So, so they, you know, they're not well paid. They have, they have these problems. Um, and now, like their work that they did, you know, because they believe in science and they believe in improving humans all around the world, is increasingly used 
by these kind of companies. And there's also a third issue, which you know, what is an issue here uh, in the story in the US, but it's, it's probably also a huge issue in Germany, which is that a lot of this is paid by uh, taxpayer money, right? If you're at a university hospital, um, a lot of the funding comes from taxpayers. Uh, in Germany, uh, all of the funding, well, not all, they have, you know, they have, uh, you know, if you do a, you do a study, it's usually uh, paid for by like a pharmaceutical company or something, and they pay for a lot of that. But you know, generally, the the, the actual jobs, a lot of that, well, used should should have been like that. Um, it's it's changing now, but it it used to be. It's a public education system, right? So this this, this is paid by taxpayer money. So we have work that's being done, paid for by taxpayer money, done by people. <laughs> Who don't see any of this and 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 using data from patients who have not consented to this kind of shit who have no you know who have no say in what their data is uh, what's happening uh with their data or as the new york times story actually says uh, hospital pathologists have strongly objected to the page ideal saying it is unfair that the founders re- received equity stakes in a company that relies on the pathologist's expertise and work amassed over 60 years they also questioned the use of patients data even if it is anonymous, without their knowledge in a profit-driven venture. The decision to license images of patients' tissue slides for a for-profit company also highlights the broader debate of the use of personal medical data ranging from genetic information to, in this case, images of a person's cells for research and commercial purposes. Um, Universities and teaching hospitals have long sought to to turn their scientific discoveries into lucrative business deals. Indeed, 10 cancer drugs approved by the Food and Drug Administration originated at Memorial Sloan Kettering. But the page AI arrangement is different because what's being commercialized is not an invention per se, but rather access to raw materials, notes and slides gathered over the decades. I actually think, um, I personally object to the other part as well. I I object to, you know... um, hospitals um you know i understand if a uh, for-profit company pays for research and you know uh basically does pays millions and millions of euros or dollars or euro dollars uh, for short <laughs> to um have you know to do research to do r&d then develops a drug and then they they patent it because they want their money back and i think then there need limits there need to be limits on that personally i think i think there needs to be a time frame for the patent i think if we're talking a drug that is life-saving to millions of people let's say they had like a covid vaccine or a drug or whatever i i would say at some point the state needs to you know step in and just i don't know invalidate the patent make it make it public domain pay the company and you know just be done with it um but I think it's even worse if, like, in Germany, if this is, like, a... So if a guy is, like, the head of, like, research at a public uh, teaching hospital and he develops, like, this drug and patents it on his own name, right, and then sells, like, the patent for millions of dollars to, to a pharmaceutical company, I mean, he is working at a... He's paying by taxpayer money, right? He shouldn't be allowed to do this kind of thing. I think that is bad enough. But now, you know, all, all, all your data belong to us. Now they're doing this with data. And data, as, as people uh, are saying, you know, is the oil of, of, of the 21st century. This is what, what you know, all these, these AI startups, if you want to call it that, this is what all this is based on. This is what, you know, blockchain, this is what all the, 
all the the hype uh, words of the last 10 years in technology are basically, you know, this is all data driven. Um, so I actually think um, this is, I actually think this, uh, the guy, uh, what was his name again? Sorry. Um, Sonin, who did this talk at Fostem has a really good point. Also, there's some more details in the show notes about like some of the people involved and how they obviously have ties to, um, you know, to companies. I mean, in the US, this is especially egregious, you know, uh, you have like all these hedge fund investors and, you know, these hospital people who are also work for like on, on the side work for, for pharmaceutical companies. You're like, I mean, one of your salaries is enough to live on very comfortably. Like what the hell is going on there? Um, so yes, that, I mean, I think he has a good point there. And I think the core question, you know, if you're going past this, um, I mean, I, I personally think this shows us that we need, um, truly, um, non-profit hospitals. I think I've talked about this on this show in the past when I talked a little bit about, um, you know, uh, the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic and about hospitals and like ICU beds. And I think this doesn't go for the US. This, this is different depending on what country you're listening to this from. But if you're, if you're listening in the UK or if you're listening in Germany, then you will understand me probably when I say, um, why do why do hospitals need to make profits, or why do even non-profit hospitals need to like generate revenue that they just spend on sh on shit, right? Why why is that? Why don't why why can't they just make a loss? Right, the state is paying for this anyway. Um, in Germany, it's expected. It's the <laughs> It's it's the um, we think when when we created a country and we when we built the federal republic in in the in the sixties and seventies, we developed this system where we said it's the state's job to care about the health of its citizens. That is infrastructure, and that's why there's lots of taxpayer money going into that. Why do they need to make? Why don't we go back to actually have? truly non-profit hospitals right that operate completely in the public interests that 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 would be my first step that doesn't even have to do anything to do with the data i mean it impinges on this topic but that's that's something i feel very passionate about i don't understand why, why hospitals need to make money that, that just gives you problems right if you start and I mean, this is how hospitals work in Germany right now. And this is how university hospitals work in Germany. And it's a, it's a travesty. Like, I think the problems we're having in, you know, with the, with the coronavirus, uh, SARS-CoV-2 pandemic, and with ICU beds and all this kind of stuff has nothing to do with the virus. What it <laughs> one could say, if I was polemic and I was a progressive, if I was AOC, right? I would say the virus is capitalism. And that has been said. I don't believe that. But I think, yes, this is a problem. This is a capitalism problem. If you, if you think your hospitals are basically companies and you're organizing them under capitalism, you know, capitalist ideas, then of course you will not have a large 
contingent of empty ICU beds because you have people on staff who are not working, right? You need all these care care people, doctors, you need the beds, you need the infrastructure, which which is infrastructure that, you know, if you have a pandemic or, you know, like the flu every every year, right? You, you, these beds are probably needed like 10% of, of, the, of the year. And the rest of the time they're empty. And if you're ca- if you're a capitalist, if you're running company, you have a controlling department. They go like, why are these? Why is our ICU, um, you know, uh, percentage of 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 beds, right? Why is it at four, at thirty percent, ninety percent of the year? Like, why is it? Why is it, oh in the winter okay? We use many of these beds. It goes like up to eighty percent, whatever. But like, why is it like thirty percent the rest of the year? We have too many people on staff. We have too many of these facilities. We don't really need them. And then you cut them. And then the pandemic happens and people die. That's the problem. But why don't we have public hospitals that we pay for anyway? In Germany, I'm paying for this shit. I'm paying for this shit. I'm paying a lot. I'm freelance. I know exactly what I pay in like healthcare. And it's it's a lot. Like here, it's not like if you're employed, your employer pays a lot of that. I pay like, okay, I, I have, there are, there's some help for, um, artists and I'm, I can't as a journalist I can't as an artist in Germany so I can apply for uh, there's a government well there's like a semi anyway it's a complicated system but they're basically paying my um, a lot of what my employer would pay but I pay a lot I know that I pay a lot of money um, and why do they need to make money and that's like that fucks up everything that fucks up research um, like if I was more um, if I like, if I believed in actual, you know, socialism, what we, what I talked about in that episode when the socialism primer, um, I would say yes, the state should do all that, you know. But I don't think, you know, personally, I don't think you should, the state should run pharma companies because <laughs> Soviet Union proved really well how that doesn't work, or East Germany proved how that doesn't work. So you know, there are there there borders and 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 limits to all of this. But I think hospitals, yes, definitely. I mean, there can be, you know, they, they can still do research with pharma companies. There can be all this shit. There can be companies involved. But why the hospital? And also, second point, anyway, I'm belaboring that. The, the, the data we're talking about, I believe, yes. I believe patient data should be should belong to the patient. The pay, I mean, it doesn't have to be obviously stored by the patients. That, that wouldn't work. But I think the laws should be changed. And this is complicated, but the laws should, should be changed. I agree with this, with Sonin. Um, with this dude that um, that would probably be a better way to do it um, and it would be important because it would actually um, enforce a lot of this you know it would prevent a lot of this because suddenly that AI company would have to have a contract with me right that would have to license my data and that basically have to report to me I'm guessing what they do with my data um, and you know bets are off if the person is dead uh, you know, I would do it that you know, if the person dies, the data doesn't go to the to the next of kin, right? The data would just go into the basically the public domain. Uh, I think that's okay. Once you're dead, who cares? Uh, but um, yeah, I think I think this is a this is a good 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 point. Uh, of course, I know people who work with patient data who do scientists, especially. Um, this would complicate their work, but actually, interestingly, I talked to some of them, and, and you know, some of my, um, you know, people I know through other people, you know, acquaintances, um, actually said, "Well, 
you know, currently this is a mess, right? Currently, every hospital, every company, everybody has like, I mean, there are laws, but everybody has like different systems um, to store this data. Some people just carry them around on USB sticks, which they really shouldn't. Um, they would actually probably be beneficial for for the for for laws to be enforced uh, against hospitals and private companies because they would be forced uh, to uh, you know look a bit care a bit more about this data and I'm, I mean there no we know there are ways to do this I mean you know uh, companies are forced to um, there there are all these like IBM SAP uh, software AG they do they do, like I did a short foray into this when I when I was at Heiser. It was not a topic I was very keen on. But, you know, there's this enterprise... What's it called? Enterprise data relation management bullshit. It's basically software that, for example, modifies your Windows so that, you know, you have a certain PD, you have certain PDFs that you can't... Like, you'd, you'd have, like, USB drives that you could plug into your work computer. But, like, this system runs in the background, and if you try to copy one of these files to a USB stick, it says you can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. It puts, like, a, a access uh, restriction layer uh, on top of, like, the, the, the rudimentary way Windows does it. And it, it allows certain things, right? You can can upload certain things to the Internet, others you can't. Because companies need to do that when they care about, you know, like... Uh, uh, you know trade secrets and all this kind of stuff maybe con confidential information and why don't ha why don't hospitals have a system like this for patient data and this would be a way to do it right this would be this i mean nobody's going to tackle it i live in no uh illusion that this is going to happen but hey um i think it's a good idea I think at least something to think about. I wasn't aware, you know, I wasn't actively thinking about the fact that this data doesn't belong to me, and I think it should. But I don't know what you think about this, and this is why uh, it'd be cool if you give me feedback. So go to privatecitizen.press, there's a contact link at the top, lots of ways to contact me, and I would I would be very interested in um, in in hearing what you think. I uh, think this is all bullshit. I think this is a good idea. You got some ideas how we could handle this, put on the blockchain. Anyway, get in contact. Maybe we can maybe we can you know talk about this a bit more in a in a in an upcoming episode, or maybe we just have a discussion off the air, which uh, which works well for me as well. Right. And uh, speaking of that, let us talk about the feedback. So I did get some feedback for, from some people. This is both about episode 56, uh, where I talked about this other FOSDEM talk I found interesting recently and about the Matrix Protocol. And first off, we have Astral C, uh, who comments on this and has five points. Uh, he says, first, I'm, I'm one of the weirdos that doesn't have Facebook. This is why I want to check alternatives, which, you know, I think makes sense. That makes that makes complete sense. Um, I wasn't. I had some comments on the YouTube video as well. People were saying like, "Oh, you said so many people have Facebook, and I know all these people have Facebook." And of course, there's this all this part of the population. Who, I mean, I was talking about not literally the whole population of the planet. I was talking about the people who have computers, who live, you know, who are in relatively live in the West or whatever. Like, yes, the massive. Populate massive amount of these people are Facebook, and you're if you listen to this, 
you know, to be honest, you're probably a nerd. Uh, so just because you know 10 people are not on Facebook doesn't mean that is the reality for the majority of the people in your country. I was amazed um, a while ago. I was on holiday in, in Fiji, which is an island uh, on the in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you know, basically, if you if you go to uh, from Australia uh, towards New Zealand and then keep going for a while, in the middle of the uh, Pacific Ocean, there uh, is Fiji, which is an archipelago, and uh, we stayed on a on a small island there. They, they didn't have running water. They didn't have, um, you know, uh, toilet facility. Basically, you know, they just had whatever you call that when you just latrines when it just drops right they, they went to the toilet in the, in the in the sea most of the time i think um they had a school there and they had all like old imax i think and they didn't have internet like they didn't have wired internet but they're like they had 3g on every fucking island and they all had smartphones and like they had at that time this was like three or four years ago uh, they had a better internet connection than I had in Germany, like, you know, mobile internet connection because Germany fam- famously bad at this shit, uh, <laughs> uh, which was amazing to me. And they all had Facebook. They were like, can I take a picture for my Facebook? And I'm like, what? They all had Facebook. Actually, interestingly, I mean, I'd read about this before because I'm a tech journalist in, you know, Africa and developing nations where they sk- skipped the computer, they skipped the PC, they went straight to the smartphone. And for a lot, for a lot of these people and a lot of people on Fiji, the Facebook was the internet. It's like, it's like really hard. It's like basically if you grew, grew up in the 90s in the US and it was like AOL was the internet. It's basically like that. So I think you, uh, many people are, especially nerds, uh, are really underestimating how many people are on Facebook. I think there's, you know, there's whole companies uh, who don't have websites anymore. They just have Facebook. Sites. I mean, it's changing as well. In Germany, it's also different. Uh, but I think Facebook has a lot of influence. This is not to discount your experience. If you're not on Facebook and you look for an alternative, I think that's great. That's great. Like if I was just a, a private a private citizen, uh, I'd I'd be I'd be off Facebook. It's just like I need to, like it's I need to represent my brand, right? And I need to be known, and that's why I'm still on Facebook. But anyway, uh, second point that Astro C makes: How can we know the encryption won't be disabled without notifying the users? Um, as I try to address in this episode, you can't, um, except it's open source. Uh, but to be really, so let's say you install an app. A matrix app on your phone like let's say element which is an open source client you'd have to do a um uh re oh, what would you what was that called again damn it um a reproducible build of like let's say it's installed on android of the apt right of the you'd, you'd have to build the source code from github compile it like the uh, whoever uploads it to the Play Store compiles it with exactly the same settings, and then you can run a checksum on that APT. And if it's the same that on the checksum you have on your phone and everything works, then you can be sure. Uh, but basically, you can't be sure. But it's an open source prog- project, and you know it, people look at the code, and it will probably people will probably notice. Um, also, uh, Am- Amitar, I'm recording this. As usually, I'm recording streams live on Twitch. Uh, Amitar1 says, if you're a parent, you also cannot afford being off Facebook. And I've heard this before. I don't have kids. Uh, Because of that, I don't have many friends who are parents. 
many close friends because usually they get kids and then they drop off the face of the earth. But I talk to people and I talk to parents and I know that, you know, lots of school communication runs over Facebook, just, you know, keeping in touch with your kids. Uh, you have to be on Facebook. So that is also uh, a very valid point. Um, and also, uh, Amitar says, especially during COVID-related homeschool periods, uh, but even before. Yes, so good point there. Um, yeah, so we can't we can't completely be sure, but you know, we we, we it, this is like this is a, a thing in security. You know, you always confront with this if you're an expert in air quotes of security. You know, I, I'll be on TV, and they ask me like, how can we know this is secure? And you're like, you can't. Security is a it's a gray area. You can never be completely secure of a computer system. Computer systems completely secure if it is not working, if it's off, right? Um, and it's the same thing. It's the same in physical security. Like, is your house completely secure? No, right? You might have good locks. Uh, you might be home, right? But if like somebody really wants to break in, they can just, you know outfit a tank with the ram and ram through a wall and shoot everybody inside right so it's not like it you always have to ask yourself what are you defending yourself against and in this instance is what you have secure enough and the same thing kind of goes with privacy because so you know at the end of the day privacy in it systems is always connected to security because you can't have privacy without security and this is kind of Kind of the same thing, right? So we, we, we can't, we, to be short, we can't be sure. Uh, but people look at these things. They look at code, they look at protocols. They would probably realize if the protocol changed. Right? People are developing APIs for WhatsApp, like also like their stuff that, you know, you're not supposed to develop with, you know, they're reverse engineering the protocol. If something changed and something breaks and they need to figure out what it is. Uh, but you know you can't complete you can't of course never never be sure uh third third point matrix is also more hassle for contact discoverability compared to whatsapp and signal that use the phone number so more so it's more so those are more recognized as an sms replacement uh completely true i don't know why matrix doesn't do that i think some of the apps did it in the past uh, i probably have a problem with the especially the way whatsapp does this which is tied to your phone number so I have people in my WhatsApp contact list where suddenly like the avatar changed, right? And it's like a different person. And I'm like, hey, uh, Dave, you're still there? And it's like Steven now, right? Because they just got the, the, the phone number and the, they, they, they got that WhatsApp account or whatever. Um, so yeah, but you're definitely right. And of course, the app the apps are relatively shit. I think that's the biggest barrier of entry. Like, So my... Um, I've been trying um, this element client on the phone uh, with the server I set up uh, with with my wife, and she discovered that apparently on iOS it doesn't have a sharing thing. You know, like on, on iOS you have a photo and you want to send that to somebody. Uh, you click on sharing, and then it says you know WhatsApp, and then you click on WhatsApp, and it posts it into the chat. Uh, apparently, Element doesn't have that yet, um, or maybe maybe we just couldn't find it um but you know stuff like that the ui isn't isn't completely there like the keyboard keeps popping up when it shouldn't um that's why i said currently it's, it's for nerds i just i wasn't also to be clear i wasn't saying 
everybody should use this or anybody really i was just saying maybe you're interested and you want to have a look at it i certainly am and i'm looking at it uh point four as you said cell phones is not something i expect my family and friends to use i actually disagree with that because i think you misunderstood me um so for example if you're a nerd and you can cell phones this and if the apps you know get a bit better and they're as usable as whatsapp or signal is like why wouldn't they use it if you set up the server uh, you know, they set up their account. You give them like you just give them the server address. They put that in, uh, or you you know you can do that with like QR codes that they scan. Like, why wouldn't they use that? Like, they wouldn't know, right? You'd be running the server. Yes, you need a nerd who runs the server. Um, that's always a problem. Um, but you know, I mean, they could just get an account on Matrix.org. To be honest. Right, the, the, the idea of this federation stuff is that not that everybody runs their own server, but that you can if you want to. And as I said, I'm not completely convinced this is working because I'm not a believer, as I as I also said, I think, in that episode in federation when it comes to microblogging. So we'll just have to see if this works better. I just think it's theoretically a more usable use case for this kind of thing for messaging. Uh, because we know that works. Uh, because email is email, it works for email. I mean, email is a different kind of federation, but it, it works. It's like basically, it's interoperability. Basically, federation is just a very newfangled uh, term. It's kind of like blockchain uh, for for interoperability. Basically, we just need fucking interoperability, right? Uh, so what changed is that we have interoperable. Like back in the day, you know, uh, in the nineties, we were like, oh, we need own standards then everything's going to be great. But then, you know, Google used their open standard, used Jabber or XMPP or whatever, and built their own messaging solution on it. And then they suddenly it's not an open standard anymore. So we figured out just having an open standard doesn't work. What we also need is interoperability. And kind of forced interoperability, right? Email is something, email is such an open standard and so interoperable that Nobody was able to put that in a silo because everybody will just go, why doesn't it work with my normal email account? Why do I have to use the Gmail account, right? Google could have never migrated that to their own ecosystem um, because it was already so federated, to be honest, when Google came along. Um, So the problem is now we're actually on the other, you know, we have other systems and we're trying to implement a federated one. Anyway, this is a discussion for another day, I feel. Uh, Point five, from Astral C just says beer sock to explain everybody if you haven't listened to that part in the episode which you really should uh, I spilled beer and it was seeping into the floorboard and I'm renting this place and I didn't have a tissue handy so I used my sock and I soaked it in beer which you know is not bad for my feet and uh, it's better than it seeping into the floorboards and that is the uh Secret of the beer sock. Maybe we can make that a meme, uh, private. Maybe I can make a, a shirt. I have a shirt already that people, if they subscribe to a very high Patreon tier, they get a shirt. Uh, maybe I can have a second one, that, or maybe another piece of merchandising. I can design a, a, a logo for it, probably. Uh, that just says beer sock. I should write that down. Actually, uh, let me just let me just get some some note paper out here and write down. Beer sock merch opportunities. <laughs> right. Gotta further the brand, everybody. Um, right. 
uh, that was uh, Astral comments. Uh, Captain Eckhead, also about Matrix, asked if I know of the censorship issue they had with Google Play. And I know about that. And uh, But if you don't, uh, I put a link in the show notes. It's under producer feedback. Um, you can read up on that. So basically, they were pulled out of the Play Store after the riots, like, you know, everybody else. What I found interesting is when I set up my, my Matrix server, I tried to tweet it. I tried to say, hey, if you have a Matrix account, maybe you can come hang hang out with me here. I have a public room for Fab.Industries. And uh, <laughs> Twitter, I've never had this happen before. Uh, Twitter said, I can't tweet that. Uh, because it links to a suspicious website, which was obviously bullshit because the website was fab.industries, which it otherwise doesn't block links to. And I know it's not a suspicious website. I don't, it doesn't, I know it has any, doesn't have any malware on it because I know every fucking bit that's on that fucking server because it's in Git <laughs> and uh, it's, it's Hugo and it's not that complicated. Uh, but hey, uh, they discovered and uh, Matrix actually got back to me their Twitter concept this is happening and then they resolved it actually they they escalated it to Twitter but basically they they prevented people from from tweeting links to Matrix protocol you know Matrix servers which uh, you know I thought that shows that uh, Twitter is afraid um, that kind of blatant censorship uh, only only uh, regimes that are in danger or think they are in danger do this kind of stuff so take that for what it's worth anyway that's that's it for now um, and now I'll just have to um, thank some people and I actually realized I played the wrong sting for the feedback thing so I'll, I'll play the, uh, the, the credits uh, thing now so uh Let's go into the short, uh, very short segment where I thank everybody. Actually, that reminds me, I played the right sting. This is how I always do it. I just confused myself. It's all this... uh, (laughs) all this running it's not good for the brain I tell you anyway just very quickly show is produced I produce this obviously you get it free of charge it's produced under, under something called the value for value model which just says if you get any value for it maybe you want to consider giving me some value back and you decide what that is right it's pay pay what you want which could be nothing if you want to pay uh you can join my patreon which is like a monthly subscription thing and you can pick like it starts at one dollar plus plus applicable tax which is actually great about patreon that they actually uh, sort that out so i don't have hassle with the tax people uh, but if you don't want that if you just want a one-off contribution um, a way to do that then you can just PayPal to producers at fab.industries producers at fab.industries all the details are on private citizen press and that's basically it and with that I would like to thank everybody first of all I have to say thank you to Raul Kabazali who uh, composed the uh, theme music of the show which I enjoy uh, I, have to, I have to say thanks to ByteMark, who uh, provide me, or have for years now, provided me with two servers that I use to um, basically as CDN uh, to to get you the audio files, which works impeccably. So ByteMark's great. ByteMark.co.uk, the UK cloud hosting company that I, you know, obviously 
uh, a door for this. And with that, I have to mention everybody who did um, contribute monetarily. Most of those people uh, on Patreon um, and most of them for a very long time. And they're very loyal producers who help out, which I'm very thankful for because it gives me a little bit of money every month that justifies me spending the time doing this. Uh, so thanks to George's, Niall Donegan, Michael Mullen Jensen, Jonathan M. Heavy, Butterbeans, Dave, Steve Hose, Mark Holland, Shelby Kruver, Vlad, Jackie Plage, 1i11g, Philip Klostermann, Jaroslav Lichtblau, Kai Sears, IKN, Fadi Mansour, Dirk Didi, Joe Hoser, Matt Jalleman, Michael Small, David Potter, Mika, Bennett Piata, Martin, Dave Amrish, Larry Glock, Ricky M, Drive Zero, Mr. Amish, Jonathan Edwards, Barry Williams, Avis, Neil, Tobias, Matt, Captain Eckhead, and D. Now, one thing I want to mention, this is obviously a privacy show. If you want to contribute, but you don't want your name read out, you can either, you know, pick a pseudonym as some of these people did on Patreon, or you could just message me. Like, you know, just use the contact form. We will figure something out. I'll make sure that I'll never mention your name. I can, I can, I can keep a secret. I'm a journalist. Um, I like to keep my sources uh, anonymous if they want to be, which goes to source for sources of money. <laughs> If if that that is what's wanted, um, yeah. So uh, just you know, just just a quick mention. If, if if that's an issue for you, just get in contact. Um, and then I also have to thank my Twitch subscribers because I'm streaming this every week live on Twitch now because it gives me a bit of interaction. I really like doing that, and I stream a lot there anyway. I stream video games uh, most of the time, but you know. Once in a while, I'll like to show people how a podcast is produced. And it's probably also handy for people who want to know how to do a podcast. You can, you know, I have screen sharing on. You can right now, you can see my uh, recording software. You can see my show notes. You can see pretty much everything I do. I have a have a desk cam um, where you can see my desk, um, how I use my iPad as a soundboard. Um, you can see my wonderful keyboard in all its glory. And you can see my ugly mug while I do the show. So for some people that's interesting. Um, I do have um, a um, obviously a Twitch channel, which is just Foxtrot Alpha Bravo. Uh, you know, this is Fab in the NATO spelling alphabet, so that's Alpha with an F. Uh, but there's also a link in the show notes now at the top because I also um, after my streams get archived to YouTube uh, because Twitch only keeps them for two weeks. So uh, you can also watch the spec if you're ever interested and you want to see me and what kind of faces I pull while I do this, you can do that. Anyway, there are people who subscribe to this Twitch channel, maybe because of the video games I play, but still, they give me money. And if you have a Prime, uh, Amazon Prime subscription already, you can, you can subscribe to one Twitch channel for free. It's called uh, Prime Gaming. And so you can just give me money. It's the same as if you would just subscribe otherwise. And uh, it helps me out. Um, so I would like to thank my Twitch subscribers, which currently are Mike the Dane, Galtaran, Redeemer F, Indie Game X, Andy Pants with a four, and Mode Seven is unavailable. Mode Seven with a zero and a seven. Um, well, it's in the show notes if you want to read it. Uh, what it actually looks like a uh, private citizen press, of course. And some of these people are obviously also Patreon supporters, and I. Uh, you know, I appreciate that doubly. So thanks, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope this gave you some ideas. Um, 
and um, I hope you, uh, I don't know, enlighten you a bit. I don't know. Just tell, give, give me some feedback. Tell me what this show does for you, because uh, that makes me happy. I'm gonna to, I'm gonna play us out, which I which I do now. Uh, it started this year um, with some licensed music, um, which I uh, appreciate. Gives gives the show a little bit of a more professional vibe, and I like switching it up. So I'm gonna play us out with a song called "I'ma Keep Going." I'ma keep going by Bo the Drifter. So that's that's a lovely song you will hear uh, in a minute, uh, and I'll I'll just say goodbye. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, probably won't see you, or you probably won't hear from me next week for CPU upgrade reasons. But I promise, as always, I will make it up for you. Uh, until then, aim to misbehave, and uh, you know remember the private citizen way. We defend your right to have something to hide. See you for the next show. Bye-bye. I've been hustling for so long What I've been thinking about the past And it keeps me going on Oh, but I can't stop, no, I don't stop It's only I can see Even if I end up all alone I know my destiny My mama told me we all bleed the same sun Oh, prejudice and pride will make you change Always remember where you come from Cause I know you were born to break the chain So I'm on my way Yes, I'm leaving today Are you right with me? See, I'm living in that life But I got a fire that burns so bright From the bad I'm the day. Oh.